from BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast, is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. You know you've got a comeback in you. When you take the next step, you're going to make it count. For your career, for your family, for your life. You can earn a degree you're proud of with Purdue Global. Purdue Global is backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected and innovative public universities. This is your chance. This is your opportunity. This is your comeback. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Are you on the hunt for a new home this spring, but don't know where to start? Fisher Homes is your solution. Your new home should reflect you from the front door to the kitchen and even your outdoor space. Start your journey by selecting your ideal home site, like in a cul-de-sac or that's tree-lined, and then choose from a variety of expertly designed floor plans. Bring it all together at our Lifestyle Design Center. Let Fisher Homes be your new home solution this spring and start making memories at fisherhomes.com. The wait is almost over. Get ready for the 2024 NFL season as the full schedule is announced. Every rivalry, every rematch, every rookie debut, every game revealed. The 2024 NFL schedule release presented by Verizon coming in May. Live on NFL Network, ESPN2, and streaming on NFL+. Terms and conditions apply to NFL+. Visit NFL.com slash schedule release to learn more. Podcasts. This episode contains descriptions of graphic violence and scenes of genocide. Listener's discretion is advised. So if the first part was to find a Nazi and bring him for a trial, the second part was to find a Nazi and kill him, and to find someone that's hiding in the other side of the world. And the idea was to kill someone that got blood on his hands, that's Avner Abraham. He's a former Mossad agent and a kind of amateur historian of the agency. I called him to talk about the operation to take out the butcher of Latvia. So that was the idea, to let the other Nazis, not to try to find all the other, uh, just to let them know that if we came to South America, we can find you in any place. I'm Stephen Talty, and this is Good Assassins, Hunting the Butcher. And there was a knock on the door. All the men line up outside. And the machine gun was... Da, 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 I remember the, the sound. One of the cops came over and said, uh, look at the sun tomorrow, you won't see it again. We must thwart this shameful process. The end of a trail of blood and horror. The end of a man whose name will be written in infamy. Episode 2, The Killer's History. So when we left Mio, our Israeli spy, he had just finished a meeting where he'd been briefed on his mission. 
But before we follow Mio on his trip across the world, and eventually to his first meeting with his target, it's important to know who Zuckers really was. Why was he called the Butcher of Latvia? Or another of his nicknames, the Hangman of Riga? Those two things, who the target really was, and what crimes he committed during World War II, they'd influence how the operation would go down. And for that, we have to go back to Latvia, to the days just before World War II began. Riga was a very beautiful, very beautiful city. We had an opera, we had the university, we had a polytech for engineering, we had five, six theaters, Latvian theater, German theater, Russian theater, Jewish theater. This is Shoshana Khan, a Latvian Jew from the town of Liepaja. I mean, we were Germanophiles, all right. As in many of those small states, the Jews tried to identify with a higher culture, and uh, the illegal German was the culture. Anything which came from Germany, I mean, was 100% wonderful. The books, the music, the, the clothes, the chocolates, everything was perfect. The people who lived more on the eastern side of Latvia, they emulated the Russians, of course, and they talked Russian. Latvia is one of the Baltic states, and it's had a fairly tragic history. It sits between two much more powerful countries, Germany and Russia, and it's been occupied by one or the other multiple times over the centuries, often with bloody results. When it came to its Jewish citizens, Latvia was a decent place to live in the 1930s, if you consider the other options in Eastern Europe. There was discrimination, quotas, but no history of massacres. Till 35, in the names of the streets, every document was in three languages. Latvian, German, Russian are not exactly in that order. The capital Riga had only one Jewish policeman. He was a kind of tourist attraction because the sight of him was so rare. Many Jews recalled incidents with their classmates or their co-workers. Jews were sometimes referred to as the black growth. Some of their neighbors even called them parasites. But there were Gentiles who were friends with Jewish families. And there were even some intermarriages. So for Jews, Latvia was not as bad as, say, Russia. At least not yet. In the 30s and into the 40s, as the Nazis spread their message, Latvia was actually considered a sanctuary for Jews. They came to Riga from places like Prague, Berlin, Warsaw, to find a safe place to live. During this time, the 1930s, Herbert Sukers was becoming a national hero. This is Richard Splavniks. He's an historian and teaches at the University of Central Florida. Richards was born in Latvia, and he wrote a book about Victor Raj and the notorious commando unit that Zuckers was part of that murdered so many thousands. Because Richards is an authority, I called him to get his thoughts on Latvia during the war. The celebrity of Zuckers, who sort of technology pioneer, exploration pioneer, with some daring do, uh, and he's handsome and he looks good. He's a great spokesmodel uh, for the Latvian state in the 1930s, and really it was sort of of a piece in that era. Zuckers was such a celebrity in Latvia in the 30s, in fact, popular songs were even recorded that told of his exploits. This is a song about Zuckers' 1933 solo flight from Latvia to the British African colony of the Gambia. Hello. Hello, Lidua Thais, Zuckurts, 
pacijās gaisā un lido uz Gambiju ar Dievu dzimtene. As I mentioned before, he was a brilliant pilot made these epic journeys all over the world. When it came to flying, he really was a kind of genius. Not only did he design a series of small aircraft, he built them by hand on a tiny budget, often using spare parts he took off crashed planes. Then he flew them thousands of miles to places like Japan, the west coast of Africa, even Palestine. He was a daredevil with a brain. Herbert Zuckers put Latvia on the map. His fellow citizens, including many Jews, loved him for it. If you're looking for an American equivalent, think Amelia Earhart or Charles Lindbergh. Zuckers was a big deal. But it's not like he had a perfect reputation when it came to Jews. He joined the Air Force when he was young, and the Latvian military at that time, it had a lot of anti-Semites. Zuckers would occasionally make an anti-Jewish joke. That was fairly typical at the time. But he'd actually grown up with Jews. They'd worked in his father's shop, and he was often seen talking with Jewish men in the cafes of Riga. So Zuckerts wasn't considered an anti-Semite before the war. In fact, far from it. I spoke with a man named Michael Krom about his father, Isaac Krom, who was a Latvian Jew and was at school studying engineering at the same time as Herbert Zuckerts. Michael Krom pointed me to his father's interview with the survivors of the Shoah Visual History Foundation, now the USC Shoah Foundation Institute. There's one fellow that Zuckers, who became infamous, his name bears, uh, uh, you know, mentioning here. He was a mechanical student, a mechanical, we call it facultet, here a faculty is as teachers, and I was an engineering. Since my father was an engineering student, and Zuckers was this engineering person, he saw suckers all the time in the hallways uh, in the engineering department. And suckers was a celebrity and big man on campus and always was mobbed by people. But there was no question that my father knew him, saw him, didn't interact with him in terms of being friends, didn't have conversations with him, but saw him at, you know, a distance of a few feet all the time. In his Shoah Foundation interview, Isaac Krom talks about how Zuckers visited Palestine in the 30s, and when he came back to Latvia, gave public talks about the Jewish settlers he observed there. The Jews had impressed Zuckers. Then the Zuckers, on the way back, he stopped over in Palestine, and he had lectures in the Jewish theater, fully packed houses, telling them how the Chalotzim were uh, working on the swamps and drying out the swamp land in Palestine. He made a mint on this kind of lectures. In June 1940, the Soviets occupied Latvia. This becomes important later in the story. The takeover was part of something called the Molotov-Ribbentrop Pact between Hitler and Stalin. It meant that life in Latvia was completely transformed. Money became worthless. Soviet soldiers broke into shops and took everything they wanted. Thousands of Latvians were exiled to Siberia or sentenced to death. 
It was a terrible time. The Soviets were almost universally hated. Their occupation became known as the Year of Horror. Then in July 41, the Germans invade. They fought their way into Riga and soon sent the last Soviet soldiers running to the east. Another kind of horror emerged, one now directed at Jews. The Nazis began passing anti-Semitic laws. They encouraged Latvians to direct their hatred at their Jewish neighbors. They declared that Jews had helped the Soviets to occupy Latvia and carry out atrocities. Jews had betrayed their country, and they needed to pay for it. It was a lie, of course, but it worked. Roundups began almost immediately. What added to the terror was that it was often their fellow Latvians who took the lead in the violence. One survivor remembered. In my wildest dreams, I could never have imagined the hidden animosity the Latvians had for their Jewish neighbors. I had hoped the liberation would have passionate meaning for the Jews. Instead, the Latvians uh, saw themselves as the messengers of Nazi evil and began to govern the city as if they had received consent from Berlin to do so. I had lived my entire life there among Latvians, who now considered me their mortal enemy and were prepared to kill me. Jews and Gentiles had lived side by side in Latvia, gone to the same schools, endured the suffering of the Soviet occupation together. But now the Jews were being singled out. Jewish families hid in their apartments, listening for the sound of heavy footsteps on the stairs. That was the sign that German and Latvian soldiers were in the building, looking for them. Landlords would tell the Germans where the families lived. There would be a loud pounding on the door that would echo through the building. And on the first night of the occupation, on July the 1st or 2nd, every Jewish home was visited by the Nazis, along with the, with the Latvian guard. This is Sasha Semenov, a Latvian Jew who was 16 when the Nazis invaded. And there was a knock on the door on July the 2nd. There was a knock on the door and there was a German SS officer and a Latvian guard. And they said, all the men line up outside. And we looked out the window and it was nighttime and all our neighbors were lined up outside on the guard like, like, like criminals. The Latvian guard that Semenov mentions, that was Herbert Zuckers. Semenov's father knew him from before the war. He tried to reason with the famous aviator. And my dad said, oh, no, I'm a, I'm a, a veteran of the First World War, you know, and showed his papers. He said, you're a Jew, get out of there. It was the last time Sasha would see his father. He was shot in the nearby forest and buried in a mass grave, along with thousands of other Jewish men. A few nights later, the butcher came back. He wanted the Semenovs flat. And he occupied our apartment with all our belongings. And he was the one that, that showed my mother the list of the men that were, that were killed on that first pogrom. And my, mother, my father was amongst them. Zuckers even ordered Semenov, who was a talented young musician, to come play the piano at the wild parties he threw at the Semenovs' apartment. He would call me at night. He had he used to entertain some of his whores. He had a, a Jewish girlfriend that he would that was his mistress, and he would make me come up to my apartment and play the piano for him while he was while they were drinking. Just imagine that scene: this teenage boy walking into the apartment he grew up in. On the couches, where his aunts and uncles once sat during family parties, 
were these red-faced soldiers, laughing, shouting, drinking bottle after bottle. They would come to the apartment after their work of rounding up and killing Jews was done. They would tell jokes, stories about their day. The place was like a frat house, but with a much darker edge. And Sasha would play waltzes on the piano as the men danced with prostitutes. Who knows what went on in the bedrooms? Sasha didn't see that, but he could imagine. In a memoir he wrote after the war, Semenov recalled how Zuckers treated the Jewish girl he'd brought along with him. Uh, one day he ordered me at night, uh, in the month of July 1941, uh, that I come to his room and play for him and his friends. There I met the heads of the secret Latvian police. They were drunk, <laughs> and I played for many hours. Thus I witnessed how they brought in the Jewish girl, and each of them, one after the other, had their way with her. I know that this maiden was held for many more weeks in Zucker's apartment. There were executions in the streets. The Germans created a ghetto in a poor neighborhood of Riga, and every Jew, on pain of death, was ordered to move there. Zuckers lived like a lord in occupied Riga. He and his men could do anything, anything they wanted, provided they didn't cross the Germans. He would visit Jewish homes demanding coffee and women. He would drag the women to his car and rape them. Occasionally, he'd kill and mutilate them. Or he would show up in the ghetto drunk and go crazy. A survivor, Ella Medallier, remembered those visits. She knew Zuckers well. She'd met him at one of the holding points for prisoners in Riga, where he told her she didn't look very much like a Jew. Now she saw him in action. Oppression and murder became part of everyday life. One day, I saw Zuckers through the window, driving his car up to the ghetto. He was drunk and could hardly stand on his feet. Laughing, he started shooting at the people like a hunter in a forest. This is Henry Bermanis, a Latvian Jew talking about atrocities during the war. As we lined up to go to work that morning, we were faced on the other side of the street by 110 special Latvian police. And we stood there eyeing each other. And one of the cops came over and poked his rifle in my stomach and said, uh, look at the sun tomorrow, you won't see it again. I didn't know what he had in mind. But that group uh, came into the ghetto under SS supervision and under supervision of a man named Tsukurs, the Latvian war ace, flying ace. Uh, they took half of the ghetto population by street blocks and forced them out of, the, uh, out of their homes uh, to line up in the street in columns of four or five. And they were marched off to Rumbala. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. 
Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Are you on the hunt for a new home this spring, but don't know where to start? Fisher Homes is your solution. Your new home should reflect you from the front door to the kitchen and even your outdoor space. Start your journey by selecting your ideal home site, like in a cul-de-sac or that's tree-lined, and then choose from a variety of expertly designed floor plans. Bring it all together at our Lifestyle Design Center. Let Fisher Homes be your new home solution this spring and start making memories at fisherhomes.com. The wait is almost over. Get ready for the 2024 NFL season as the full schedule is announced. Every rivalry, every rematch, every rookie debut, every game revealed. The 2024 NFL schedule release presented by Verizon coming in May. Live on NFL Network, ESPN2, and streaming on NFL+. Terms and conditions apply to NFL+. Visit nfl.com slash schedule release to learn more. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles, ready for next day installation, and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. On November 30th, 1941, the clearing of the Riga ghetto began. The Nazis and their accomplices took Jews and forced them into a nearby forest. Women were dragged from their apartments, along with their children, and beaten. Those who resisted were often bludgeoned to death. Here's Isaac Krom again, who saw Zuckers in action that morning. The recording of Krom's statement is unavailable, so this is an actor reading Krom's words this time. I was on Lodza Street near the Riga ghetto when I saw some Jew being dragged. Herbert Zuckers was in charge of the soldiers. He was dressed in black uniform of a military aviator. He ordered me and some other men to put the killed Jews on the sledge and drag them to the cemetery. I had an opportunity to watch Zuckers closely for a while. A Jewish woman started screaming when she was being dragged to the truck. She wanted to have her daughter with her. Zucker shot her with his gun. I was a witness of this killing. I also saw Zuckers point his gun at the child who was crying because he couldn't find his mother in the crowd. He killed this child with one shot. Some of the testimonies are almost too awful to believe. Reuven Barkin had been a neighbor of the Zuckers when Herbert was a boy. He spoke Yiddish very well, for he had always been friends with Jews. We grew up together and were friends. But later, during the Nazi occupation, Barkin ran across the butcher in Riga. The man he'd once called a friend had become unrecognizable. When I was still in the ghetto, I saw how Tsukoras approached a girl the age of 10 or 11 years and asked in Yiddish if she would like a candy. He told her to open her mouth. Then I saw him pulling his revolver, shooting the girl in the mouth and killing her on the spot. 
I was just going to work and walking on the same sidewalk. I saw the murder from close up. Zuckers was a cruel murderer. Zucker's fame worked against him. He was a well-known figure in Latvia. There were other men who were equally as brutal in 1941, but Jews remembered Zuckers because he was a kind of celebrity. There was also the betrayal. Jews knew there were anti-Semites in Riga before the war, but Zuckers had never been one of them. For many Jews, he embodied the double cross their neighbors had inflicted on them. The official toll of Zucker's actions, the one that Mossad used, was 30,000 men, women, and children. That didn't mean he'd shot all those people by himself. For many of those deaths, he acted as a collaborator, the man who forced Jews out of their homes, drove them to the killing grounds. I came across other stories as well. This is Carolina Tates, a Jewish Latvian who was an eyewitness to the mass murders in the Rambula Forest outside Riga. I saw um, a ditch, and there was people with with ta 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 shooters with the and the Germans say stay in line. Or oh, we was back there. We was very back. So the first people, because I just saw that I was not there, but I saw that they st- stand on on the ditch on that side was the shooters. There was Latvians and Germans. And the Jewish people, you know, there is a mother with a child and two little. Uh, every, the Jewish people have children, a lot of children. They stay, and the machine gun was ta 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 ta. I remember the the sound. The sound was ta 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 ta. And they was falling in that grave, half dead, half alive. The little children screaming. People was benching to God. The woman was screaming and yelling and crying. It is a mess, you know. This is just like, what, what can I feel? I feel nothing. Ella, the young woman who'd seen Zuckers shoot at people in the ghetto, was driven to the pits on December 8th, 1941, when thousands of Jews were murdered. Zuckers was among the commandos who cleared the ghetto and forced the Jews to the pits. There they were ordered into the trenches, shot in rows. Mothers were ordered to hold their infants in the air, and both were executed at close range. Some were buried alive. Ella watched as her fellow Jews prepared for their deaths. The people seemed indifferent to their surroundings. They were holding each other, suffering from the bitter cold, crying and saying goodbye. Relatives and friends were standing together. From the front, we could hear wailing and crying, which created a terrible hum, a drone. There were many women with babies crying in their arms, as though they also sensed their impending death. Children took hold of the clothing of their mothers, grandmothers and grandfathers, seeking protection. There are no words to describe the tragedy. Ella actually managed to escape the pits by claiming she wasn't Jewish. A guard let her stand to the side. She listened to the shots ring out until they began to die off. Finally, she was brought to a car, told to get inside. The Germans began to leave. The door of the car opened and Zucker sat down at the via. He turned on the lights in the car and peered back at us. For a few seconds, he stared at me. 
I was frightened that he might recognize me. I remembered his assertion that I didn't look Jewish at all, that I would live a better life somewhere in the city, like other people, or go to the country. But this time, Zucker said nothing. He started the engine, and we left that horrible place. He did not betray me. So Zuckers saved the life of this young Jewish woman. And she wasn't the only one. Once in a while, as the killing went on, he would pick out a Jew, almost at random, and help them escape. Why? Why did the butcher kill some of his neighbors and spare others? I read through the testimonies looking for a clue. Maybe he did it for the money, but there was no record of him asking for any. Maybe he only saved young women. But no, he actually spared at least one Jewish man, a doctor he'd known before the war. So what was it? The testimonies did answer one question for me. Clearly, Zuckers was guilty. So why did he still have defenders? I found half a dozen eyewitnesses to his actions. And later, I came across statements from fellow Latvians in his commando unit. They confirmed he'd been part of the massacres. But again, why? I went through other possibilities. Maybe he'd always been an anti-Semite and just hid it till the Nazis came. Maybe the Germans forced him to kill. That was the explanation of many non-Germans who murdered Jews during the war. Maybe that was part of the answer. But then I'd read a testimony talking about how the butcher seemed to enjoy killing. There was more than one. It just didn't fit the idea that he was forced to do anything. So I had no answers. Even the survivors and their testimonies couldn't give a reason. Most of them, they were as baffled as I was. Maybe there were others who fit this pattern. Friendly towards Jews before the war, joined in the massacres, but saved the occasional victim. Maybe there were historians who'd found killers like this. And that would help give some insight into Zuckers. I made some calls, and I was able to track down and speak to two people who shared with me some crucial insights. I'll play you some of those tapes a little later in a future episode. It was a start, a way to get inside Zucker's mind. So the war ends. Zucker survived it without being thrown into a POW camp. He was detained briefly by the U.S. Army, but his name wasn't on any list of perpetrators at that point. So he was let go. Then, in 1946, he and his family sailed for Brazil. They had almost no money. When the family arrived, Zuckers was forced to build a makeshift house on a Rio beach to give them somewhere to live. But he was a hard worker. He built small boats to rent to tourists, and his business grew. He became a success. He even told people he'd hid Jews when the Nazis had come to Latvia, that he'd risked his life to save a young woman named Miriam. In fact, he brought her to Brazil, He took Miriam around, showed her off to his new friends. Brazilian Jews were moved. He was a hero who had protected their brothers and sisters when they were being hunted. Jews in Rio threw parties for Zuckers, invited him to their homes, even gave him money. As for Miriam, it's likely she was the same woman that Sasha Semenov had seen in his family's apartment. Zuckers had saved her life, but he also abused and humiliated her. The young Jewish girl had become his mistress, and sex slave. 
from BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast, is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Are you on the hunt for a new home this spring, but don't know where to start? Fisher Homes is your solution. Your new home should reflect you from the front door to the kitchen and even your outdoor space. Start your journey by selecting your ideal home site, like in a cul-de-sac or that's tree-lined, and then choose from a variety of expertly designed floor plans. Bring it all together at our Lifestyle Design Center. Let Fisher Homes be your new home solution this spring and start making memories at fisherhomes.com. The wait is almost over. Get ready for the 2024 NFL season as the full schedule is announced. Every rivalry, every rematch, every rookie debut, every game revealed. The 2024 NFL schedule release presented by Verizon coming in May. Live on NFL Network, ESPN2, and streaming on NFL+. Plus. Terms and conditions apply to NFL+. Plus. Visit nfl.com slash schedule release to learn more. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. By 1950, the butcher was living well. His business was making money, his children were thriving, and he had friends all over the city. If he'd kept his mouth shut and just lived his life, it's unlikely anyone would have ever bothered him. Then he did something stupid, like really stupid. A popular Brazilian magazine named O Cruzeiro asked Zuckers if they could write a profile of him. They were impressed with his story. He was an immigrant who'd made good in Brazil. People love those kinds of stories. They were also impressed with his family. His bronze children could be seen water skiing on the lakes around Sao Paulo. The Zuckers proved Brazil was a land of dreams. Of course, Zucker should have said no. He was a war criminal, but he was tempted. And eventually he agreed. He gave the interview using his real name. In it, he talked about his rags to riches story. There were pictures of him and his good-looking children water skiing, looking like movie stars. The magazine came out on June 24, 1950. It landed on the coffee tables of middle-class homes throughout Brazil, in shops, everywhere, basically. Most Brazilians read the story and thought, wow, what a cool guy. He came to this country with nothing, and now look at him. He's thriving. But there were a few people who read the piece differently. They were Jewish. They knew the name Herbert Zuckers, and they knew the real story behind it. This whole episode with the magazine interview, it's just bizarre to me. What was Zuckers thinking? Nazis who escaped to South America, they kept their heads down. They changed their names. They did anything they could to avoid attention. 
But here was Zuckerts parading around like he was another Oscar Schindler. It was almost schizophrenic. Did Zuckerts really believe the stories he was telling of saving Jews? Why did he seek out publicity when it could only bring him closer to danger? I kept coming back to that name. Herbert Zuckers was so proud of what he'd achieved before the war. He loved being the Latvian Lindbergh. He really thought of himself as this historical figure. And if he changed his name, all of that would go away. The aviation awards, the headlines, the fame. He wouldn't be able to tell anyone about these amazing things he'd done in his 20s and 30s. So he couldn't be safe and be Herbert Zuckers at the same time. And eventually, he chose to keep the name. He was willing to risk his life in order to be admired and loved. It was madness, but he took the risk, and it was paying off. Once again, he was a hero. Who cared if he told some lies along the way? For Zuckers, it was the attention that mattered. He wanted to be adored. But then the rumors started. Rumors about atrocities, the machine guns, the ghetto in Riga. At first, that's all they were, gossip. There were no cell phone cameras to take a quick picture of him, compare it with the butcher of Latvia. There was no Google to look up his past. By chance, Zuckers had chosen the right country to live in. In the 1950s, there were almost no Latvian Jews in Rio, no eyewitnesses to his crimes, no one who'd known him as a boy and had watched him transform into a killer. How would the survivors who knew about his monstrosities find Zuckers? and prove he was the Butcher of Latvia. And how would they do that without spooking him? Zuckers had escaped justice once after the war. He was resourceful, a narcissist, and a very good actor. Mossad knew some of this. They'd studied the reports of survivors and the articles on his flights before the war. All those details were given to Mio as he prepared himself to meet, and hopefully outwit, the Butcher. Mio knew he would probably only get one shot. With the target as paranoid as Zuckers was, he would have to be careful about how he went after him. The worry was Zuckers might feel the spies on his trail and disappear, this time for good. Mio's cover would have to be airtight. He couldn't let his Jewishness show. He couldn't alert Zuckers in any way. After the meeting with Yariv, Mio started creating his cover. We'll talk about that in the next episode. But years before he set out, there had actually been another mission to Brazil. Another group of Nazi hunters, many of them Holocaust survivors, had gone looking for the killer. They wanted to find out whether this Herbert Zuckers was really the butcher of Latvia. It was essential to prove his identity. Targeting an innocent man, that would be a terrible injustice. It would also make the hunters look like criminals themselves, damaging the cause. So the first thing Nazi hunters had to do was to verify beyond a doubt their target was really the right man. But with Herbert Zuckers, that was going to be much harder than anyone expected. Good Assassins, Hunting the Butcher is a production of Diversion Podcasts in association with iHeartRadio. This season is written and hosted by Stephen Tolte. Produced and directed by Scott Waxman and Jacob Bronstein. Executive producers Scott Waxman and Mark Francis. Story editing by Jacob Bronstein. 
with editorial direction from Scott Waxman and Mangesh Hatikadur. Editing, mixing, and sound design by Mark Francis. With the voices of Nick Afka Thomas, Omri Angle, Andrew Polk, Mindy Escobar-Liantz, Steve Routman, and Stefan Rudnitsky. Theme music by Tyler Cash. Archival research by Adam Shapiro. Special thanks to Oren Rosenbaum at UTA. Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Are you on the hunt for a new home this spring, but don't know where to start? Fisher Homes is your solution. Your new home should reflect you from the front door to the kitchen and even your outdoor space. Start your journey by selecting your ideal home site, like in a cul-de-sac or that's tree-lined, and then choose from a variety of expertly designed floor plans. Bring it all together at our Lifestyle Design Center. Let Fisher Homes be your new home solution this spring and start making memories at fisherhomes.com. The wait is almost over. Get ready for the 2024 NFL season as the full schedule is announced. Every rivalry, every rematch, every rookie debut, every game revealed. The 2024 NFL schedule release presented by Verizon coming in May. Live on NFL Network, ESPN2, and streaming on NFL+. Terms and conditions apply to NFL+. Visit nfl.com slash schedule release to learn more. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring.